Be the right club today. Yes! Again, has to be careful of the speed. What a comeback season for Hal Sutton. Come right back toward the hole. Seventeen years later, Hal Sutton is the Players' Champion. everybody and welcome to another be the right club today podcast special week this week how it's masters week it is masters week everybody looks forward to masters week we have a pretty special guest on this week um he he's done a few few decent things at the masters he has one one especially uh my good friend larry mize is on with us this week i think he's gonna offer a lot of insight this week and uh he's a great guy he's a great friend he and i played in the team several times together and uh, played on a couple played in the Ryder Cup team played too. on the Ryder Cup team together and uh you know I just love Larry I love his insight he's got one of the best short games I've ever seen uh got a beautiful golf swing his rhythm is almost unmatched and uh, uh I look forward to hearing him uh I know you will too 1987 Masters champion Larry Mize enjoy all right, our next guest on the Be The Right Club Today podcast is literally the perfect guest to have on this week. Uh, Mr. Larry Mize was born and raised in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, he's the 1987 Masters champion, and he, and he won the tournament with probably uh, one of one or, or, or one of the most iconic shots in Masters history, tipping in on Greg Norman on, on hole 11 in a playoff. Larry, thanks for coming on. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be with you. So it's, it's Masters week this week. Um, obviously, you know, you, you, you probably felt like you played it just a couple of months ago. It's kind of a, kind of a, a rare situation. Um, tell, us, tell us a little bit about this week. Tell us how, you know, how you're preparing now and, and just a little bit about the history of the tournament, your win. Just kind of talk about what Augusta, Augusta National and, and the Masters means to you. Well, thanks. It, it, it's amazing to be back. It seems like awfully quick. November, now back April, we're here again. So, uh, but it's great to be back. Um, my preparation, you know, I'm just trying to uh, sneak the ball out there as far as I can. They've got, the course has gotten so long. I'm just trying to squeeze anything out of my game that I can get the ball out there a little farther. You know, make sure I get a little, make sure I complete my backswing, get a good turn, get the width good, and uh, just let it go. And uh, other than that, I, I work hard on my short game because I'm going to have to have a good short game. I think anybody does, but especially me being older and, <clears throat> excuse me, not hitting it as far as these young guys. My short game's got to be really good. So uh, just working on that. And, you know, it's just great to be here. I mean, Augusta, you know, I was born and raised here. And just to, uh, to get to come back here every year is so special. Um, I, sometimes I still can't believe I won this thing back in 87. I get to come back again. So it's, uh, it's great to be here. It's a tremendous event for this city. It means a lot to the city. I know they're happy to have fans back in to this year. It'll be fun to play in front of fans again this year. It'll be nice. And, uh, but it's just a uh, great event and uh, very special. And from the Champions Dinner Tuesday night to teeing it up uh, in the tournament, it's, uh, I just look forward to it every year. So, Larry, having played Augusta many times along with you, I never had any success there like you did. But uh, I don't think the fans realize how on edge everything is at Augusta, uh, you know, from – I mean, a good shot can turn so bad so quickly. And uh, help the fan understand how that makes us feel as a player, you know, to every shot be so critical from that standpoint. Well, Hal, you're right, as, as you know. Um, the, the, the areas that you want to land the ball on these greens is very small. I mean, I've always felt like it's a, it's a second-shot golf course. They've made it a harder driving golf course with the trees they've added and everything. But, uh, 
there is no let up on this golf course. Uh, you know, normally you can play a golf course and not that you do relax, but you're able to relax a little bit on certain holes and everything. There is not a hole out there. There's not a shot out there you can relax on just for that reason that you said. Uh, even the third hole, a short par, par four, you can make a double on that hole in a heartbeat. If you hit the ball a little shorter, a little long, it's such a small area. I mean, the width of the green on the left side, I don't know, what do you think? It's about, about 12 yards, maybe 10 yards. That's about it. So you have such a small target to hit to that you are just so focused and on edge every shot that when you get done, I don't know if you felt that way, but I'm exhausted when I get done. I mean, it's such a mental challenge to play that golf course and maneuver your way around that, uh, you know, the edges are sharp, the greens, they get them to a speed that's right on the edge and uh, you hit it in the wrong spot. Two putting is not easy. And uh, it's just a, uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, we just don't, uh, we don't get to play uh, golf courses like this very often, obviously. So it's a lot of fun, but it is, uh, it's exhausting as a player. There is just no let up on this golf course. One of the things that I felt like I always found there was things happened differently there than they happened everywhere else. A couple of examples for me was, you know, you hit it a little bit on the right side on number 10 and it doesn't quite all the way get to the bottom of the uh, slope and you've got a hanging lie there. And I, I don't know how many times I've expected the ball to turn over and hit it right at the right bunker thinking it's going to turn over and it doesn't. Number 13 is exactly the same way, going for the green into hanging lie, aim it out there at the creek, and it just seems to hang there. And, you know, I don't know what it is, you know. Uh, do you find anything like that at Augusta? You know, you're exactly right. I finally learned on 13, I got that hanging lie, I go, I go right in the middle of the green because whatever it is there, it, will not, it does not draw. You know, so I learned, I said, just play it to the center of the green, play it at the flag, or, you know, even play at the left side, because it is not going to draw. And I find the same thing. And uh, that, that hanging line on number 10 is really brutal. I mean, <laughs> 13 is it's terrible. You're down there on that side hill trying to hit a, well, back in the days when I carried a three iron, trying to hit a three iron off that thing into that green. So uh, it's a, uh, matter of fact, in 87, I had one of those hanging lies and made bogey on 10. I was trying to hit a three iron in there off that thing and uh, it's, it's so hard, but, but you're right. Uh, things do the, the one, uh, and then you get a place where you got a flat lie on the, on the 16th tee flat line, no big deal. That one will draw and go right in the water. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> so Larry, right. uh, talk, talk a little bit about hole 12. Um, you know, the par three, there's been a lot of balls and it seems like to me, there's been more balls in the water there the last couple of years than I remember watching growing up at all. If you guys were, you know, almost sitting on that tee as, as caddies for the last few groups coming in, I mean, how do you, you know, that, that back right pin or middle right pin, however you look at it, what's the, what's the strategy? I mean, you saw Tiger a couple of years ago, hit it front left and like completely take right out. Um, why is that hole so hard? Um, how do you how do you play it coming down the stretch? Well, that's one reason Tigers there so many times. That back right pin is is really a sucker pin. You really unless you really have to make birdie and you're behind trying to catch up, you don't shoot at that pin. Uh, you want to put it over the bunker, center of the green. You know, maybe make a twenty or thirty footer for birdie, but make your par get out of there. I mean, I've always felt like if that hole doesn't get your heart in your throat, nothing will. Uh, it's such a great par three. Once again, the depth of that green in the center is only 10, 12 yards deep. So you just have to be very precise with your club and the green angles away from you from left to right. So if, as a right-handed golfer, you know, when you lose right, it doesn't go as far. So now you're losing it to the right and you have a longer carry on the right because the creek and the green, everything angles away from you on the right. And uh, it's such a, uh, such a great par three. Um, and so you want to get it there, but you know, you just got to play the odds. That pin on the right. It's funny, Sunday, uh, I did hit a six iron, and I think I did go right at it for some crazy reason. I got on the front of the green, made the putt for birdie. But uh, I think when that ball was in the air, my heart was pumping pretty hard uh, because you just uh, – it's such an unbelievable hole because I know I, I hit it in there on Saturday, hit it in the water on Saturday. And uh, But it's a good question about uh, why more players are in there now. You know, these, these young players are very, very aggressive. Uh, I think the tour is, is, has really caused that a little bit with uh, 
you know, play good and really, you know, make your money in a few weeks, let it go. And maybe that's why they're hitting in the water. But it's a, uh, it's a great part of three. This, uh, the wind swirls back there as well. Uh, you'll see the pin on 11 blowing down. And then 12, you'll see the pin coming back at you. It'll get in those pine trees and swirl. So one of the things I always did uh, as I would, you know, look at the group in front of me to see where they hit. If they both hit it long, you know, maybe it's playing a little shorter than you think. So you kind of use the group in front of you to help you with that. But it's a, uh, it's a great par three. And it's one center of the green on that hole is always a good shot. So, Larry, what's the hardest hole at Augusta for you? You know, that's a great question. You know, you always think about the, the fifth hole, you know, being now it's 495. I mean, I'm hitting driver three wood every day, you know. And, uh, but I don't know if that would actually be the toughest hole. I, I tell you, holes that give us a hard time, you know, Langer and I were talking about this. Holes like 14 and 17 play really tough now because with the length and now, you know, you've got the, you're, we're driving it right into the hill. So we get no roll where the younger guys can fly it farther and get a little roll. So now you're hitting a, a long iron or even sometimes a, a three hybrid into those holes. And, you know, I was, you know, we always hit, you know, seven iron to pitching wedge into, into 14 and 17, not, not, not hybrids or, or five or four irons. So uh, those are really, I, I said those three holes I think would be the, the toughest holes, you know, five, 17, 14, and obviously you got to throw 11 in there because 11's playing so long as well. But, uh, uh, I think the thing is with 17 and 14, when you miss those greens, they're very difficult up and downs, especially 14 with all the undulation on that green. Such a hard up and down where 11 and even five with the undulation, it's still an easier up and down on five than it is on 14. But uh, those are some of the holes that really, you know, if I make fours on those holes, it's, uh, it's, it's a good thing and I'm happy to move to the next hole. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't know this, but you and I played in the team championship quite a few times on the Champions Tour, and and I got to watch a short game magician in you. So uh, we talk about short game on here a lot, and uh, we think the game is the short game has changed quite a bit uh, because of the equipment and agronomy and everything else. What are your thoughts? And love to hear your your take on the short game now with, with your expertise. Well, you're, you're very kind. Um, I, I, it, it is interesting with all the, the lofty clubs now is so different. I mean, you have some guys carrying a 64 degree wedge on the PGA tour and I can't, uh, I feel like I'd hit myself in the face with that thing, you know, down there. So <laughs> I, I care 58. That's, that's, that's the weakest wedge. I. Can. So, uh, I do think, you know, with the, with the equipment, the agronomy, I mean, everything is so well manicured now that uh, I think it has, uh, it probably has changed a little bit where you're able to hit uh, a lot of different shots. Uh, you're able to play, uh, you, you can't, you're able to keep it up in the air more because you can get up under the ball and everything like that. So uh, it's a, uh, that's, that's a great question. I hadn't really given them a thought. You kind of threw me a curve on that one, but uh, it's a, uh, I think with the, with with the with the golf clubs, I mean that that's a big change in the in the golf ball as well. But uh, you know, I think the short game is so important, and you see these guys work at it. I think they work at the short game, especially you know the 120 yards and in the wedge game, so so much harder than we did with the track men and all the equipment that they have. Um, I think that they uh, they do a really good job of that. We didn't have that equipment, and we worked hard on that, but. They have a lot more, not a lot of advantages to even take it even farther than we did. Um, but, uh, but I'm not, you know, with the short game. What are you, what are your thought when you're saying it's different? What do you, what are you seeing? Well, uh, you you mentioned just a second ago you're able to throw it up in the air. If if you know how to do that, why don't you help everybody that's on here? Because none of them can get it up in the air. They're all using a putter where you're throwing it up in the air. You know, I I think the lies are tighter. The ball spins less. The grooves are different. I mean, I don't know where I would even stop. That's how many changes there are in the short game. And, you know, a magician like you, you don't even notice it. I think that's a very interesting thing. You haven't even thought about that. And I think it's because your short game is so good that you don't think about these things. For those of us that our short game is not quite as good as yours, we see how limited things are now. You know, in the old days, you know, we we learned how to play, and the only place that was fairway was the entrance into the green, basically. And the rest of that was rough. 
Now there is no rough anymore. It's run off and, you know, a 20 yard flip shot from under the putting surface. And I can tell you that is uh, debilitating for most amateurs out there right now. Well, you make a great point. There is a lot more runoff. You see a lot, uh, to me, there's a lot more putting from off the green than when we years ago, because the courses are so manicured, you can putt from off the green. Where now, uh, back when we played, I mean, I did I, very seldom did I ever putt unless I was on the fringe or green. Um, I chipped it more. But, uh, you know, to me, as far as the club, I think the amateurs, biggest thing is they try and help the ball. I mean, I always like to let people know, let the club do all the work. There's plenty of loft there. Let the club get in there. And one of the things I like to think about with putting and chipping and pitching is let the club feel heavy. Because if that club it doesn't feel heavy, then you're manipulating with your hands. If that club feels heavy, let that thing swing naturally and do all the work. I think that'll help amateurs because I see too many amateurs really try and use the hands too much. They try and help it too much and make that club feel heavy. Just let it swing, you know, light grip pressure and let that club do all the work. And uh, I think they'll get a better job putting the air, but, uh, you make a great point that has a lot been changed uh, with, with the short game and, uh, you know, there are tighter lives and you do see a little bit more bump and run sometimes than we used to see, uh, but uh, definitely the more putting off the green, I think. The, that heavy, make the club heavy is an interesting, interesting thought. I've never, I've never heard it worded that way. Um, you know, we talk a lot about soft grip pressure around here and that's kind of, kind of a similar, a similar concept. Do you guys think that um, Augusta National forces you know, or, or requires you to have a good short game to, to win there? Hal, you want to go? Uh, you're better. You're better at this. You've got a better <laughs> record there than I do. Um, I, I, I think you got to have a pretty good short game to win there. I mean, you look at the guys that have won there. I mean, obviously, the guys that have won there a lot, I've always felt like, are very good iron players. You know, Jack Nicholas multiple times, Langer multiple times, Seve multiple times, Tiger multiple times, all these guys, Palmer, very good iron players. I mean, not that they weren't good at other things, but their iron play was very good. I mean, Seve was a great iron player, not the greatest driver of the ball, but a great iron player and a magician around the greens. So, uh, but I do think most of the guys going there are pretty good short games as well. Um, you know, Jack Nicholas, you know, great putter. You know, his short game early on, they say wasn't so great, but still was pretty good. Um, but great putters, I think that's a big part of it. But I do think, because you're going to miss some greens, and the thing at Augusta, uh, and, and Hal knows this, I mean, over the years, it's gotten plusher, but the, the rye grass was not as nice back in the 80s as it is now. So you had to do a lot more bump and run. I think the bump and run shot, the pitch and run and chip and run is a real big shot at Augusta. You still use it, but even more so in the old days when the fairways weren't, they were plush for the 80s, but now they're just like carpet now. There's so much more ride, so much thicker. The ball sits up better so you can get under it a little easier now than you could then. So, but I do think it, it causes you to have a pretty good short game because if you're not putting good and chipping good, pretty hard to get around that course. Wouldn't you agree, Hal? Uh, I would totally agree. You know what a lot of people don't realize, there's not a lot of middle pin placements at Augusta. <laughs> and, you know, what you find yourself doing there is short-siding yourself a lot just because you're trying to get it on the plateau wherever the pin is at. A good example is six. When the pin is back right on number six, there's not a harder shot in America than that shot. I'm it's glad the, I'm not the only one that feels that way. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's such a tiny little area. And, you know, it, in our day, I don't know what you're hitting now, but it was a six iron back in those days, basic six or seven iron. And, I mean, you've got to be precise. And, uh, and if you're not, you've either got a 60 foot putt up over the big ridge or you're off of the green somewhere trying to chip to, uh, you know, it was always tough for me because it was hard. The ryegrass, it wouldn't release out of the ryegrass like you really want it to in, in a chip. If you were going to hit a bump and run, it wasn't normal there. And I think trying to get used to that for one week. I don't know. I'd love to hear your take on that, too, because it seemed like we didn't play anything like Augusta. And you'd go in there and try to get ready in one week, and it was like the cram course, basically. What do you think? Well, I, th I think you make a great point. And, and, I, and I would. I mean, I would cram on the greens. I'd cram with my short game. You know, I'd get off greens and play those pit bump and runs because I think that was such an important shot there. So I worked really hard on that shot. And 
obviously it, it would work would work well for me um thank yeah. goodness uh, yeah. but but you're, you're you're right that i gotta say that shot at six i mean it is the smallest target in golf to hit on that little plateau up there it, uh, people just can't uh, can't understand how tough that shot that is and that's why i'm always practicing that but that 60 footer from down below because normally that's where i'm gonna end up down below there um but uh but you're right it is a tough golf course to prepare for um and when you get there the other thing you want to prepare hard but then you don't want to wear yourself out you know get all get yourself you know all of a sudden thursday comes you've been you've working so hard you're kind of a little fatigued so uh but it is uh you know, there are certain shots when you go to Augusta and the bump and run is one of them that I just worked extremely hard on to get comfortable with. And, and I'm, I'm doing it this week as well. Larry, talk about how the golf course since 87 or, or earlier when you first played it versus now. You know, we've talked about it a little bit, but how's the golf course changed? Well, you know, I, I think the best, uh, best example I can give is I go back to the old yardage book when Hal and I were playing in the 80s and the seventh hole was 360 yards. It is 450 now. Hmm. I mean, 90 yards they've had that hole. I mean, we used to hit, you know, some guys wouldn't hit driver. I'd hit driver in a nine iron wet. You know, now uh, I'll have to say last, in November last year when it was playing so long, I hit five wood into it. Hmm. I mean, you know, and all of a sudden the ball's not going very far. The fairways are softer than normal. So it played really, really long as it always does there in the fall. Um, but the length is just a, a big part of it. I mean, they've lengthened it, you know, four or 500 yards. Uh, so they've added another, we play 19 holes there now instead of 18. So it, it's really, <laughs> no, so, uh, but, the, but they've also added trees, you know, they've made it a better driving golf course, you know, those holes like, uh, uh, let's see, where are they? You know, 11, such a, such a good driving hole. Now, you know, as Hal remembers, you could hit it anywhere on 11, you know, you could yeah. hit it well. It was wide open. You just kind of ripped it. Now you've got to kind of hit it a good drive. And if you hit it down the right side of the fairway, not far enough, you actually will have to cut it around the trees a little bit. So it does bend right trees. So, uh, but uh, sorry about that. So, uh, and then uh, what's the other hole? Then, you know, 15 is a little with the trees. You know, you used to have the chocolate drops on the right. You could kind of hit anywhere on 15. Just miss the trees on the left. So 15 is a harder driving hole with the trees on the right. And 17 is a much harder driving hole. Once again, 17, you could kind of hit it anywhere at fairway and to the right, play from 15 fairway. Now you got those trees. So they've really tightened it up off the tee, where it's a lot better driving golf course. But the length is the biggest factor. It is just uh, amazing. But it works for these kids hit it so far. I mean, they hit it so far, it's, it plays perfect for them. Well, how about number seven? It was a it was a fun little shot with a wedge. I can only imagine how difficult that thing is with a five wood into that. Uh, it's a, it's not a very big green, obviously, and it's pretty severe from back to front. So uh, uh, just trying to help these the, uh, the spectators understand what you're feeling out there. Another thing that about Augusta that a lot of people don't realize is no level lies at Augusta. It's always, you know, ball below your feet, ball on the down slope so many times are you hitting a, a shot off of a down slope to an uphill green I'm sure that's the case now now that it's gotten longer oh yeah on 17 I've got to sometimes I have to walk up the hill just to see the pin <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, it is I think that's one thing people really notice when they get there they've never been is the elevation change I mean, it is, it is such a hillier golf course. There's so much more elevation change. The, the, the TV can't do it justice. I mean, the 18th hole, you know, uphill so much, 10th hole downhill. But you're right. I mean, even on the 7th hole, a lot of times that ball is a little below my feet hitting into that green. Not only do I have a longer club, but now i got the ball slightly below my feet. And uh, you got a lot of uphill, downhill lies. It is a uh, – it's, it's really a, a tremendous challenge. But, but you're right. It's uh, something else. But I tell you, on the 7th hole – it came, remember before we'd have the wedges and nine irons in there, we're trying to be real precise. Now there's no precise. I'm just hitting that five wooden or, or four irons hard as I can, just trying to get up there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about how 18 has changed for you. Yeah, you know, 18, I think they've added about 60 yards to it. Um, so it's, uh, you know, still 18's always been a good driving hole. Now, you know, instead of kind of 18, you're kind of, I mean, in 87, I hit three wood off the tee trying to position it out there. 
Now I'm just trying to rip a driver as hard as I can and put it down the left side of the fairway. Because if I don't, if you hit it down the right, uh, and I think Tiger, when he won back in 19, he hit it kind of down the right side. If you don't go far enough, you got to hit a cut around those trees. So, uh, you know, it's 300 yards, about 300 yards to the bunkers now. So it's such a harder hole. And now you're, you're hitting, I'm hitting a longer club in there, anywhere from a three iron to, uh, I mean, a three wood to, occasionally I have been able to sneak a four iron there, but normally it's anywhere from a three wood to a four iron into that green. And it's, uh, you know, once again, people don't realize how small that, how narrow that green is. You know, that green is not very wide and you got the two tiers. So uh, it's a, it's a challenging shot and uh, it, it's, it's a bad now. It's, it's amazing. I mean, I just, cause once again, I can't carry it far enough to get it up that hill very far. Well, <clears throat> how's your game this week going into uh, Augusta? Is it, uh, I know y'all haven't played a lot on the champions tour, so you've been working hard. I have been working hard, and I think that that's the hardest part. You know, I haven't played in a competitive event in five weeks, and you know, you you kind of you lose a little bit of the competitive edge. I've been trying to get some games with some friends at home last week and trying to get ready for it, but uh, I think that's the, that's going to be the toughest thing, just kind of getting back out there under the gun. But uh, I feel good. My, my game's pretty good. I feel good. My short game is doing well. I'm putting the ball well, and uh, that's a big key. I've got to put the ball well to play well this week. So. Uh, I'm, uh, but I'm always excited. I'm always optimistic coming in here. Just uh, it's great to be back. Larry, one of the cool events around Augusta is the Champions Dinner. Um, do you know what? Have you seen the menu? What's what's Dustin? What's Dustin serving? You know, I haven't seen the menu. I, I think I'm always the last one to see. It seemed like everybody. <laughs> but uh, I know it'll be good. I mean, the the Champions Dinner is such a special event, and uh, you know, with the, with the COVID going on, they did a great job last at November as far as we went to a, the trophy room downstairs and they spread us out. So we were six feet apart and everything. And rather than having one long table, it's one long table with three people at the end, it, <clears throat> excuse me, at the left end, you'd have the tournament chairman and uh, the ch defending champion in the middle and Crenshaw next to him. And then I always sat next to Crenshaw on the end. And at the other end, you had, uh, you know, Gary player and Raymond and, and uh, Fuzzy Zeller down there. So everybody kind of went to their seats. But uh, last year they did a big U-shaped table so we could get you know six feet apart and uh, had people on the inside and outside sitting there together. So they did a great job, but it's such a great event. Um, we, we get there for the cocktail hour, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, everybody's getting their master's flag signed by people to, for their charities and everything. And just getting to see people, because you know, a lot of guys I don't get to see much anymore. Um, so it's great to see the older guys come back, you know, Jack and, and uh, Gary, just it's a lot of fun. And over the years, the guys I've get, gotten to be there with from Herman Kaiser, Henry, Henry Picker, Gene Sarazen. I'll never forget, <clears throat> Gene Sarazen needed a ride back to his hotel one time. I said, I'll take him. I'll, I'll give him a ride back. And I'm, I'm driving the Squire back to his hotel. So it's just a special event. I mean, the food is always great. Um, I, uh, you know, I know when I, when I was defending champion, I, I just had kind of a steak and some beans and potatoes and I had peach cobblers, the dessert kind of put a Georgia spin on it a little bit, but I wanted to have something they like, but what they have is you can also order a chicken, a fish or a steak if you don't you know like it or if you have a special diet. But I've always had the champions dinner, except the year after I won, when Sandy Lyle had the traditional Scottish dish of the haggis, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> so, uh, but it's it's a great great time and uh, to see everybody and uh, you know when we when we get through eating, you know Crenshaw is the MC. Byron Nelson was the MC, kind of the host, and now Crenshaw is taking over. And Crenshaw is the perfect one with the history and that he's so good. And uh, he says a few words, and the defending champion speaks, and then you know the chairman says a few words, and it opens up, and we have a lot of great discussions. I mean. It's great, you know, Bob Goldby a couple of years ago was telling some old stories when he played, and it's just uh, it's a great time of, uh, of fellowship and to be with those guys. It's uh, one of my favorite nights of the year. That's, that's really cool. I was going to ask you about, you know, a little bit about your, your worst meal, best meal. You already mentioned the, mentioned the meal. You never, you never decided to try. Um, what was a memorable meal that you remember somebody, you know, brought in some unique food that you, you know, you, you remember it being really good? Well, you know – so many that are great. I mean, from uh, I'm a meat and potatoes guy, and when uh, 
Nick Faldo had the shepherd's pie, which I think is supposed to be lamb and potatoes and cheese. And I'm not sure whether it was lamb or what kind of meat, but it was unbelievable. That was great. And the other one I'll mention that was really good was uh, VJ when he won. He had, uh, it was a Thai uh, menu. I think he might have even the, the restaurant. Normally the Gus cooks it and they could have done this, but maybe the Thai restaurant up in Atlanta uh, catered it and they had we had some sea bass and the Thai food and it was just really really good so those would be two of my favorite meals but uh, they're all good the interesting thing is for dessert you always know you're going to get Haagen-Dazs ice cream when Mickelson wins because he's won three times and every time <laughs> you get the little pint or quart or whatever it is the big old thing of Haagen-Dazs and then you got your little tray of M&Ms and all your toppings to put in there and one time it was funny they put they, they gave us the little jars the little bitty ones of the haagen -Dazs. and phil said those are too small bring in one more for everybody bring it out here so phil was getting us all loaded up but uh it's just a fun night and uh it's, it's a great time that's that's awesome um let's go let's go back in time a little bit one of the questions that we like to ask everybody that comes on that were you know really good players like like yourself if you could go back in time, say to your 16, 17, 18 year old self and do anything differently, what would you, uh, what would you do? Wow. That's a great question. That's, that's a, I've never had that question before. That's really good. Um, wow. You, you know, you know, I think, and of course I always think about golf here. Uh, I never ventured out as much when I was younger. Uh, I just really didn't play in much things outside the state of Georgia. Um, so I think if I had to go back, I might try and venture out, um, you know, like how and I become great friends and, you know, meeting him on the tours where I met him, but it would have been fun to maybe venture out and meet him in his amateur play. I mean, he was such a great amateur player to play some more amateur events around the country and meet a lot of the guys I became friends with on the tour and uh, to do, but I was kind of a, kind of a shy home, home, hometown. I mean, just a real home guy. And, uh, I just didn't venture out much. Uh, I was, you know, very, I mean, really, I was very fortunate to get through tour school to get out there and then kind of learn how to play while I'm out on the tour. When I got out there, I got some great help from people, but they would have been nice and been helped my experience as a golfer to, to come along maybe a little quicker, even though I've got no complaints. It's been great. Don't get me wrong, but I would maybe venture out a little more as far as golf goes and, uh, and play some of the more, try and get in some of the bigger amateur tournaments and uh, let Hal beat up on me in those big amateur tournaments. So, uh, Larry, help all the young guys and girls out there. Uh, what do you think is most important for uh, a high school player to be thinking about right now? What would you tell your boys? Well, you know, I, I can't help but get, can't get away from – got to have a short, good short game. I mean, I don't care. You know, I think length is important. I would tell someone, swing it, swing it, hit it hard. You know, because I think if, if you don't hit it pretty long, you can play out there, but you're at a little bit of a disadvantage. So I'd say hit it hard. But other than that, I'd say really work on that short game and really get good from 130 yards in. I think that's just so key that you get good from those distances and you got to be good around the green. So next question then. So when you were growing up, what balance of time did you have on long game versus short game? Um, I really think I always tried to spend 50% of my time on my short game. <clears throat> you know, I thought it was very important. And, uh, you know, I was a decent ball striker, nothing like you. I mean, you are, when I think of ball strikers, great ball strikers, you always come to mind. You were always a great ball striker. I was a decent ball striker, but I had to have my short game on to be able to continue to, to contend and compete and try and win. So I've tried to spend at least 50% of my time on my short game, pitching, chipping, bunker game, and putting. Well, I think that's a great uh, thing for you to share with all the young people out there because, you know, I don't see as many kids working as hard on their short game. And I was one of those kids that didn't. I spent a lot more time on my long game. And honestly, my short game got to work while I was on the golf course. And, uh, you know, that wasn't enough. And I'm sharing that now. I've shared it before. You know, you knew what was enough, and you worked on your short game, and it's shown throughout your career. Uh, you, you've hit some of the best shots under pressure, short game-wise, that anybody's ever hit. So uh, I hope all the kids are listening to you out there. Well, 
It, 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 it felt like, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a momentum booster. You know, when you make a great putt for par, you get it up and down, that's a momentum to give you to go to the next hole. So uh, I just, uh, I thought it was very important. Larry, how'd you practice short game? You know, Hal talks a lot about, you know, not being afraid to practice some on the golf course, not always using the golf course as a, as a testing ground, using it as going out and, and today I'm going to go play, but I'm going to kind of work on my game while I'm playing, not necessarily to just shoot a score. Were you a golf course practicer or did you like to kind of just hang out at the short game area and in the, in the practice area and hit a lot of shots that way? You know, I think early on I, I did it more on the short game area. I mean, I practiced some on the golf course, but I did it a lot the short game area. And as time goes on, I've done more on the, on the golf course. Um, <clears throat> for example, I've gotten to where we'll play a game on the golf course. Actually, uh, Russell Henley, who now lives in Columbus, Georgia, plays the PGA Tour, he showed it to me, and we, we'll play this game. I'll play it with him and other young good players around town. Um, you uh, <clears throat> each hit two golf balls, and we'll go on a hole. And, you know, you can't do this at every course, but you can do it on a practice area. Hit to the different pins, and if you have to, put tees in the green. And you both hit two shots. And the closest to the pins, two points. The next one is one point. And originally, the next two were zero points. And I said, well, no, you got to have a negative for the last one. So we do a negative one for the last one. And if you miss the green, it's a negative two. And so it's a lot of fun. So now you get the great the competition, you know, put the under game-like conditions, which is so hard for golf. And you get the competition to get someone, and you practice some different shots from lobs to bumper shots to pitch and runs and so forth. And it's been a great game, first one to 21 wins. And, uh, but you can have a big, hit, you know, big change. And if you do chip one in, it's three points. But we added, if, if Russell went first and he chipped one in, but I chipped it in on top of him, I got six points for chipping it on top of him. So I think you just make games with it, with, with golf. I think it's a great way to put it game-like conditions, make some games. But uh, if you can get on the golf course, I think that's a great place to do it. Obviously, take care that you don't hurt the golf course. But uh, so many times, chipping areas can't be quite as good as a golf course. And so I like to do it out there and just spend a lot of time and, uh, with it. And, you know, for me, one of the things I like to do was to uh, work very hard on the lob shot because I felt like if I could hit the lob shot, really get the face open, it helped my hands be real soft through the shot. And if I could get that shot down, then everything else worked really well. So I like to put a lot of time into that lob shot, and it just filtered down the rest of my short game and made everything a lot easier once I started working from that from that standpoint. That's uh, Al, thoughts? Well, I think everything Larry said is really great. Uh, when it comes to short game, I'd listen to what Larry said instead of what Hal Sutton said. You know, uh, I always admired Larry uh, as a person, as a Christian, and as a man, as a father, as a husband. So, and lastly, as a golfer, you know, I mean, Larry will tell you that we've spent our whole life uh, trying to be a golfer, but there's a lot more to life than that. And as we age, Larry, I think we figure that out, don't we? Well, you're right. And you're very kind, Hal. And I feel the same way about you. I mean, we've been friends for a long time and uh, you're, a good, you're a good man. I think that's a lot more important than being a good golfer. Um, but you're a great golfer as well. So uh, it really is. I mean, I like to tell uh, these, these kids, I mean, golf is important, but it's not the most important thing in life. You know, obviously for, I know for you and I, our faith in Jesus Christ is most important. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that makes, uh, that keeps it in perspective. And, uh, you know, it, it keeps my golf game in perspective, which is a good thing. Yes. And I think there's so many uh, young people out there that get their identity through their golf game. And, and I, I would encourage everybody to guard against that because, uh, you know, that's a, a roller coaster of a life going down that path. And uh, we need a more stable life. And, uh, you know, we found that in our Christianity, I think. So, anyway, uh, and thanks and for one, being on. Well, and one thing, sorry, how one thing, too, like golf's hard. You know, so if we're if we're living and dying by every shot we hit, and and we see it a lot with our parents and parents of, of juniors, like this game's gonna this game's gonna always win. It's always gonna it's always gonna win in the end. No one's ever gonna completely defeat this game. And so if we're always living and dying by our scores, that's a like you said, how it's a roller coaster ride. That's not not much fun. Yeah, I mean, right. That that's a tough life because it is gonna be up and down, and uh, it's, it's it's not it's not a good way to live. Well, there's not a 
there's not enough said about the families either of, of a golfer, you know, <laughs> they have to give up a lot. We were gone a lot. And, uh, you know, um, it's a tough life. It, you know, whenever a kid tells me they want to be a professional golfer, you know, uh, I don't think they see all the joys of it. They see the wins, they see the crowds, they see the money, but they don't see all of the other things. And, uh, you know, there's been plenty of times where we packed our bags on Friday night, put them in the trunk of the car and, and rode to the airport sad and missed a special event for one of our children on Thursday. Uh, and we're wondering why we did because we played so poorly. Um, you know, it's a life that, uh, it's, it is filled with a lot of happiness. We can look back through our career and we see lots of things that we wouldn't trade for the world, but we, you know, it's, a it is a bit of a roller coaster. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, I've just, I've been blessed with a great wife. that's just been so supportive of me and has made it possible for me to do what I want to do. But, uh, you know, the other great thing that people don't think about is how we were able to play well enough where we could get home sometimes. And, uh, you know, I feel for the guys that have to play every week to stay out there. And because uh, that was one of the things that I realized later on, one of the greatest things about our job was we could pick and choose who we wanted to play. So we could go home when we wanted to. But you're right. It's not right for everybody. I mean, it's a tough job. If you're somebody said, tell a young kid, okay, you're in the hotel room by yourself and you've just missed three cuts in a row. How you doing? I mean, you get that's things you're going to have to deal with, you know, and it's just, uh, it, it, it's not, it's a great way to make a living. But like you said, the public and the kids and everybody, they just see the, the glamorous and the fun part. They don't see the behind the scenes of airports and packing up and, you know, carrying that body bag around everywhere and all the things. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it was funny. <clears throat> Bonnie asked me, said, now, once you quit playing, are you going to be okay traveling? And I said, oh yeah, I'll just have some small duffel with me. It'd be a piece of cake to travel around. I won't have to take all this luggage with me. It'd be great. <laughs> I look forward to that. Well, I tell you what, traveling without a golf bag is much easier, isn't it? No doubt about it. You know, those. So, those... will you play golf on a trip whenever you leave after you quit playing? Um, the right circumstances, yeah. You know, Bonnie and I will probably just go do do some things. From you know, we I've never been to Mount Rushmore, just some things we haven't seen in this country, and uh, maybe maybe go overseas some. We've never been to to Italy. You know, people tell me so Italy's so cool over there, but. But, yeah, I'd love to, you know, get some of us together and uh, to go play some golf courses because a lot of golf courses, I don't know about you, you know, when I get home, I didn't want to go anywhere. I just want to stay home and just, you know, be there and uh, be with the family. So there are a lot of golf courses around the country I haven't played that I wouldn't mind playing. So, uh, you know, to get some guys together and uh, go play somewhere, uh, yeah, that, that'd be fun as, 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 I, as I slow down. Well, all right, let's go play sometime whenever it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> I, I'd love that, Hal. You know that. All so, right, Larry. Thank. Go ahead, Chase. I got I got one more quick question for both of you, real quick, that I, I think it'd be great for the listeners to hear at home. You guys have both played in a ton of pro ams. What, Larry? What's one or two things that you see that amateur mistakes that amateurs make that you'd like to rectify from golf and never never see again, and would help help a majority of golfers? Well, I think one of the things I see uh, amateurs make is alignment. You know, their alignment, and no, normally nine nine times out of ten, if not more. They're lined up too far right, and they get that over-the-top move to try and get it back on line because you're going to try and get it to your target. So if your body's misaligned, you're going to mess your swing up to try and get it there. So I would say that would be number one because I'm a very fundamental kind of guy. And number two would be the grip. I see some horrendous grips out there that are going to make it hard. The hands are not molded together. They're working in two different directions, you know, weak left hand, strong right hand, or vice versa. So uh, those two things, if amateurs would work on those two things a little bit more, they'd have a lot more fun playing golf, in my opinion. I don't know what, what Hal thinks. Well, I agree with both of those things. But the main thing is, is hit one more club. There's not a single person out there that hits the ball as far as they think they hit it. And, you know, uh, their ego is in the way of them playing better golf. And, you know, they can't stand what their friend is hitting into the green. So they're trying to do the same thing. And they forget that there's only one thing that's recorded on the card, and that's a score. 
And, you know, one of the first things Raymond Floyd told me whenever I went out on the tour is how you want to be a great tour player. You must learn how to hit it pin high. And if you don't pull enough club, you can't hit it pin high. That's right. That's it's a great point. I mean, there's nothing like being pin high. You're exactly right. Well, Larry, we wish you a lot of good luck this week at Augusta. You know, you're one of my favorite people in the world, and I really appreciate you being on, and uh, we'll be pulling for you. Well, Hal, thanks. It's always great to be with you. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Tell Bonnie hi. I'll do it. You well, that was a lot of fun. Larry's uh, – he proved once again what a great guy he is and how humble he is. Uh, so, who's your pick this week? Man, put me on the spot already. Um, you know, it's tough to defend, but I, I always think DJ's a good a good pick at Augusta. You know, he's you know he's kind of turned his wedge game into you know it's not a weakness anymore. He's a, he's a really good wedge player. He obviously drives it so well. Um, you know, I'm gonna go out on a limb. We've been talking about Rory a lot, though. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a 180. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay, I'm gonna say Rory plays well this week. I'm, I'm taking Rory McIlroy. What? So before you pick, here's, a, here's a good question. What does it take? You know, we talked about this a little bit in the podcast, or with, with uh, Larry. What does it take to win at Augusta? Uh, it takes a lot of things to win at Augusta. Uh, you know, there's so much history at Augusta. Uh, every one of these guys have watched the Masters ever since they were a little boy. And uh, they've watched great things happen and and disasters yeah, happen. Right. And uh, they all have a history of their own, too, now. And uh, it takes a lot of self-control to play Augusta. And it play, takes a lot of commitment. Uh, you don't go in there doubting yourself. You better go in there believing in yourself. Everything's on the edge. You know, you've got to be pretty precise with a lot of shots going in there. But I, I think most everybody goes in there pretty prepared. They all want to win Augusta. So I think it takes that little extra something. Um, you know, John Rahm just had a little baby girl. I think he's got a little extra incentive. I think pressure's off of him in, in some ways because uh, he just saw a miracle. Mm -hmm. he's, and, been, he's been playing well, too. And he's been playing well. You know, if I were going to pick another guy, I'd say – Sergio's been playing really well, too. Yep. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talking about Jordan Spieth, and he's been playing great. It's hard to win two in a row. It's yep. going to be an exciting Masters. That's exactly right. Um, talk a little bit about – Larry made a, a comment about wedges, you know, ch feeling like your wedge is heavy. But you you, you kind of touched on that, and I thought that was a unique – Unique perspective and one that you know we're, we've been talking a lot on here about about wedge play and short game and chipping and pitching, but I've never heard anybody kind of word it as keep your wedges heavy. I thought that was pretty pretty strong. Yeah, well, you know, you hang around people that do things great, they're going to tell you something maybe that you haven't heard. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why we want to get a lot of these great older players on the podcast so that they'll they'll give a lot of the listeners a lot of things that most of y'all have never heard. Yep. You know, I mean. That was pretty unique to both of us, and I played a lot of golf with Larry Mize, right. and Larry never told me he tried to keep his wedges heavy. Yep. Maybe he didn't want me to figure that out. <laughs> We're not competitors anymore. <laughs> he, was hiding it. he was hiding it from me. So, who, who, you, who's who's your guy, Rom or, Rom or uh, Sergio? Who are you picking? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with Rory. So who, You're who, with Rory. I'll pick Rory. Who you got? Who's your winner? Uh, I'm going to say Rom. Okay. I, I think Rom. he, yeah, John Rom. Okay, I like it. Here's another kind of unique question for you: Is it more important to wedge it great at Augusta, or is it more important to drive it great at Augusta? Well, provided you got enough length at Augusta, I'd say wedge game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I'm trying to think of the holes, you're going to hit a wedge on number three if you don't try drive yeah. the green. Uh, you're not going to hit another some of the guys will hit wedge into nine um, you know you might hit a wedge into two or eight if you lay yeah, it up yeah. uh, then you're not going to hit another wedge until 13 if you lay it up so then let's let's back it up and say distance control or driver like approach distance control into greens more precise or drive it great 
uh, distance control into the greens. Yeah. So I like that the way you worded that better than wedges. I mean, you need to be precise with your irons there at Augusta. Yeah. And and Larry talked about that. Yeah. You know, uh, you need to be able to control being on the right shelf with the right kind of putt at Augusta. Right. You, we did a golf school today, and you made a comment about they were asking you about Augusta, and you made a comment how you know one of your disappointments was not having more success at Augusta, and I I still feel like you've got a really good game that's built for Augusta because you drove it really well, but you're a really precise iron player, you know, and you've always said the course is always on edge, and it's you know your strength wasn't wasn't your short game, and you need that around there, but mm-hmm. I also feel like you know you could have gone around there and hit you know 14 to 16 greens around and manage your way around and and why do you think looking back you know did you prepare let's say differently or incorrectly there i mean what what would you if you could go back and, and approach augusta differently how would you approach it well it's interesting you bring that up you know i could have easily gone around there and hit 15 or 16 greens if i if just trying to hit the green was what i was trying to do yeah uh but you can be on the green and have a horrendous putt like the pin on the back right on six and you're in the middle of the green you may or may not two putt you know and that's a green hit but there's greens within greens at augusta and that's what people really need to understand you know when we say be a precise iron player that means be able to be in the right position on the green and when they tuck the pins like six That shelf back there is maybe, maybe 20 feet by 20 feet. That's not very big when you stop and think about it. You're coming in there from 180 yards downhill. Yeah, elevated T. Elevated T. So that makes it tough to be precise there. Then you put a little wind in on top of that, and and then everything is running away from it. Wherever you miss it, it's running away. So, you know, you miss, you don't end up having a very good chip. Right. It's interesting you say that because Duvall made a comment today about some of the first timers playing, and they, he said, "Look, I could put, I could put you, I could put you on the green on every green in, in regulation. 18, you hit 18 greens around, and you couldn't break 80 if I put you in the right spot with the wrong pin." Totally agree with that. Yeah, the greens are I just mean, so severe. People get so fearful at Augusta with their putter, yeah. and then you put the pin in tough spots, and you put a, a person on the green somewhere where it's difficult. Yeah. I mean, you get gun shy there. Yeah, it's kind of a. Uh, the greens get a little almost spooky. Like you're almost, you know, just hesitant to take on certain pins, but then you're too conservative and you can't, you can't too. Far. I went to that horror house 18 <laughs> times. <laughs> so I know all about uh, living in that horror world. That's perfect. Well, you guys enjoy Augusta this week. It's uh, it's a special week for all of us, all of us golf fans and guys that have, have played that beautiful place 18 times. Um, as always, let us know if you have any any comments, questions, like, subscribe, all that all that fun stuff. Uh, don't be don't be shy. Hit us up. Hal, as always, thanks. Chase enjoyed it. Looking forward to next week. Be the right club today. Yes.